Well, that's an uplifting passage, huh? Hi, my name's Brad. It's going to say in your bulletin that you're going to see Richard. You got me. Sorry. Uh, I'm happy to be with you. Okay, so we got at least one of us happy. Let me pray for us, and, and we will get going. Uh, tonight, we are going, if you didn't know by Lamentations, we're going to talk about morning. Uh, not like a.m. or what we wake up time, or you're not a morning person. We're going to talk about morning as in sadness and grief. Uh, but let me pray. Father, we thank you uh, for crackling microphones and everything like that, Lord. We, uh, God, we pray that you would be present in this room. Uh, that whatever is distracting us tonight, that whatever stands in the way of us meeting with you uh, would be removed. Uh, we pray that your spirit would be here tonight. And in Jesus' name, amen. What do you suggest I do about this one? Okay, Andrew's going to take a look. Maybe. Okay. Ah, ah, ah. Careful, apparently I'm electric. Okay. Just don't move. Okay, I'm going to do the whole thing like this. Thank you, Andrew. Not only are you an incredible worship guitar player, you fix microphones. Uh, how many of you have fears? It's okay to admit it. We're afraid of things. What do you do with your fears, or what are you afraid of? Talk to me. Death, okay. Heights? Public speaking? How many of you would rather be dead than giving the eulogy? Oh, trick question, but some of you are like, yeah, maybe. What do you do with fears? Say, uh, how many are afraid of spiders? Oh, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, they're that big. Uh, snakes. What do you do when you see a spider and or slash snake, and what do you do if you see them at the same time? You what? Stab it. You stab the spider. That is pinpoint accuracy. Run away. How many of you run away when you see what you're afraid of? You don't go near heights, right? Yeah, either do I. This is something about falling off. Uh, I'm not afraid of public speaking or we would have a different conversation right now. But we are afraid of things. We avoid these things that we're afraid of. Why? Uh, because they're, they're attached to something. They're attached to, like, a bad memory. Maybe, maybe you fell. Uh, maybe you ran into a snake or a spider at some point in your life, and you just avoid them. Okay. Where did it go? Man, we are. Now I feel like a stand-up comedian. <laughs> but we avoid those things that we're so afraid of because they might hurt us. Well, there was this time in my life where... Uh, going to the mailbox brought me so much fear that I avoided it. Yeah, it's a mailbox. It's actually a mailbox. We got it at Home Depot the other day. Uh, and so I, every time I would go to the mailbox, there would be a bill that I couldn't afford. And so I'd stay away from it. Uh, I was laid off from my job when we were in California. This was quite some time ago. Uh, Carrie, my wife, had a job that she didn't like. And we were barely scraping by. So every time I'd go open the mailbox, there would be some kind of medical bill. There'd be some kind of charge from our uh, homeowners association. There would be a notice that uh, something has gone into that collection phase. It was just a bad experience. 
And the hardest part was our parking spot for our, where we lived was right across the way I had to walk by the stupid mailbox in order to get to my house. And so every time I'd walk by and I'd have the mail key and I'd know that there would be stuff in there. And so I would completely avoid going to that room. I would literally look the other way and go, hey, look, the clouds are out today and the mail's right here and just keep going. I didn't want to go near it. Is that what you do with your fears? You treat them like I treated mailboxes? Is that what we do about hard situations in our life, whether it be uh, maybe it's a conversation that we just have to have? Maybe that person's here tonight and you've noticed them and you're thinking, oh, man, I hope I don't see them closer. hope they don't see me. I'm hoping I get out of here before we make eye contact. Uh, Maybe it's the doctor's appointment where you know it's going to be a bad result. So you stay away from that doctor's appointment. You keep rescheduling pushing it off. You don't want to go near it. Maybe it's, it's, it's the, uh, the, uh, the appointment, the conversation. Maybe it's that thing at work that's going to get you the bad review and you don't want to touch it. Maybe it's a relationship with your parents. And so we stay away from it. In many ways, we whistle past the mailboxes in our life. And for many of us, me included, I think there's this thing that we avoid most, and it's the thing of mourning. We don't like to be sad. And if you're honest, even with your friends, you don't like to be around people that are sad. We don't like to watch things that make us sad. This is why I will never watch Parenthood or This Is Us, because it's going to make me sad. And I don't want to cry. I would rather watch New Girl or something funny that makes me laugh. We avoid the emotional shows or the emotional movies like The Notebook so that we don't get sad. We don't want mourning in our life. When my friends are going through a hard time, I sometimes don't want to be around them, being completely honest, because mourning is difficult. When someone is mourning, it's difficult to be around them. And then that's not even us. When we're personally going through mourning, we avoid it. We try to pretend everything's okay, right? We, we don't want to admit we're having a difficult time because that's not what we do. We're happy. Everything's great. We're good. I'm fine. Let me alone. We muscle up. We try to get through it because the tough get going Is that how it goes? We don't want to mourn anything in our lives. Mourning is this mailbox that we'd rather avoid. We don't want to be disturbed by its bad news. We don't want to be in the place of pain. So we move on. We change the subject. We pretend it's not even there. And we walk past it. Do you do that? Or am I alone here? That's what we do with it. But then Jesus comes along, and he has this way of turning things completely upside down from what we should be used to. And he says these these words, blessed are those who mourn. Happy, blessed, you are blessed when you mourn. It's a paradox, right? How can you be blessed when you're sad? It doesn't make any sense. 
The word blessed there is not something that we need to achieve. It's not saying you are only blessed if you are mourning. And, and we look at this verse and we kind of get it screwed up and we think, well, in order to be a Christian, we have to mourn all the time. We can't smile. We can't have a good time. Heaven forbid if you laugh. That's not what it's saying here. Jesus is giving an announcement in this passage in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling us what the kingdom of God is like and who is the kingdom of God for. It's a different type of blessed than what you and I are used to. It's an announcement saying, when you are in this place of mourning, when you're going through that thing that you keep avoiding, when you walk to the mailboxes of your life, you're blessed. And the word blessed there is, is a way of saying God is on your side when you're going through this, when you're going through the darkest parts of your life. God is near you. And then he adds on those five words at the end. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's hope in the middle of all of the disorientation that we have in this life. It's a promise for us, but it's also a challenge for us because we are the presence of Christ to the world around us. You and I, if we're following Christ, we are the presence of Christ to the people around us. Therefore, if we are the presence, then when someone is mourning, how are they comforted? By the presence of Christ. And that might be you. How can we be the presence of Christ to the people around us when we're constantly avoiding them if they're mourning? And not just mourning. What if, they're, what if they're just having a difficult time digesting some of the aches and pains we see in this world? And you see they're having a hard time, and what do you do? Oh, I'll just hide. I don't want to be near them. So tonight, as we look at this passage of blessed are those who mourn, I want to challenge us to see what we can do to engage in people's lives who are mourning how we can be the presence of Christ to a mourning culture. And I think it shows us this little sequence, and it starts uh, with opening our eyes. In your bulletin, it says discipleship. Uh, we, we learn how to mourn by discipleship with Christ, and it opens our eyes to the mourning world around us. Uh, if you follow along in your scriptures, we're going to be in Romans to start in chapter 12. It might be, it is up there. Uh, read with me. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. We're in a series called uh, Building the Common Vision of the Kingdom of God. Can you see it? A kingdom is simply where, where whoever's kingdom it is has complete reign and rule over that space. The word kingdom in Hebrew has two meanings, reign and rule. The word kingdom in Greek has two meanings, reign and rule. You all have kingdoms. 
You all have queendoms. You all have reign and rule over your life in some way or another. You made choices to come here tonight. You made choices of what to wear. You chose that shirt. Congratulations. It looks good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we all had, we all made choices to be here. And so to make, to, when this passage says, when you will find what God's will is, when it says God's will, that's God's kingdom showing up in that particular place. Because where God's will is done freely and openly is where his kingdom is done. Paul encourages us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This way you will know what God's will is. And when we are transformed, we become more and more and more like Christ. And when we become more and more like Christ, you following me? You will begin to see the world as Christ sees the world. And when we see the world, we'll start to notice something, that this world is vastly broken. But it's the first step in mourning, is admitting that this place isn't what it should be. We read the news, and we have cities like Chicago that in the last year had 1,400 shootings. Chicago. And then you go a little further, and you have a place called Aleppo. Deaths, children, refugees, the constant war battles, bad news are places that break your heart. You see, when, you, when, we, when we draw nearer to Christ, that cities like Chicago Aleppo, the shootings we have down in South, South Seattle, that shouldn't happen. It's broken. And you go a little closer to home and maybe you have some friends that are harassed by people because of the color of their skin, because of their ethnicity. That should not happen. It doesn't have to be like this. Then you have homes that are full of abuse and shame and regret, and it doesn't have to be like that. And then you get closer to your lives and you realize that your kingdom, your own life, is full of regret, shame, and anxiety instead of peace. And the more you draw yourself near to Christ, the more you realize that what you see doesn't have to be this way. There's a better option. When we follow Christ, we begin to have eyes to see the world as what it could be instead of constantly seeing it for what it is. I'm addicted to this show called Fixer Upper. Any of you with me? Okay, I got a couple nods. If you haven't watched HGTV, uh, you will not lose your man card for watching uh, Fixer Upper. So watch it. It's amazing. But it's this couple. They go to these houses in Waco, Texas, and they pick their motto is we pick the, the worst house in the best neighborhood. And so they find these houses that have been run down, dilapidated, left, uh, and they just need a lot of work, hence Fixer Upper. And then they go in there and they buy them and they transform those houses into something that you'd never expect. In many ways, they, they see these houses in their current state and say, it doesn't have to be like this. It can be better. And then the owner buys the house and they transform this house to the way that this couple has a, has a vision and a skill to make this house scream and look amazing. 
then they pull back the shade. If you ever any of you seen those shows, those big murals of the house that probably cost more than the whole remodel of the house. They pull it back and they say, this is your home. And it looks similar, but completely different from what they walked into and bought. And they're just floored. Chip and Jojo, the character, the main characters of the show, uh, they have a gift of seeing these projects for what they could be instead of making them stuck for what they are. My dad had this gift. He, was a, he, was a, he, he, rebuilt, he rebuilt homes. Same type of thing. He would walk into this home that was just trashed, and he'd go and he'd sit there and he'd go, wow, this place has potential. We can raise that, that ceiling up 20, or 12 feet. We can get a second floor. We can pop the roof up. We can take out that wall. The kitchen can come here. This can be the front room. And he would just go on and on and on. And meanwhile, I'm trying to take notes because it's what I did for him. Like, we're going to do all of this. Wow. How do you get that from this shack? When we start following Christ and our discipleship means that we start to see with his eyes the world around us, what happens is we start to see the world for what it could be. Many of us get trapped into the, the vacuum of our world, and we've adopted this phrase, whether we know it or not, is it is what it is. Our world will always be broken. Our world will always be like this. There will always be a Chicago Aleppo. There will always be abuse. There will always be shootings. And we fall into this compassion fatigue, and we think there's nothing we can do about it. But when we follow Christ, it's not it is what it is anymore. It turns into it is what it is, but it doesn't have to be like this doesn't have to stay that way. We acknowledge that there's a mailbox in our world and inside of it could possibly be something good. We see the world with God's eyes. And then after that part, after we see the world with God's eyes, that should lead us to a state of mourning. Once we acknowledge that there is a problem once we see the brokenness, it leads us to this place of saying, yes, there is a gap between what could be and what is, and that is where we find ourselves in mourning, where we actually take the time to feel the pain that the world sits in. Instead of ignoring it, instead of whistling by it, we look at it and go, yes, there is problems. Jesus was walking one day, and instead of ignoring it, he, there, there was, he was sent a message by Martha that, that his friend Lazarus was sick. And in John 10, he sent this, this, or John 11, he sent this message and Jesus keeps doing what he was doing. And, and then he gets another message that Lazarus is not, is not sick anymore. Lazarus has indeed died. And Jesus goes to see Lazarus. He walks into the village where he was, and Martha comes to him, and Mary come to him, and he's late. He's late for his own miracle. We're going to read about it, and it's in John 11, verse 30. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met them. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to his tomb and mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In John eleven thirty five, 35, a two-word two verse, Jesus wept. Notice what we see. When we come to these kind of situations in our life, what's the first thing that we want to do? We don't want to go to the hospital, right? We don't want to visit these places. We avoid those type of mailboxes, the troubling situations. We stay away from them. What's Jesus' first move? Where have you laid him? Where's he sitting now? He walks into the village. He gets a little bit of a guilt trip. You're late. If you had only been here, he would have lived. He doesn't argue back. He says, where, where have you laid him? He makes himself present to the people who are mourning. He engages them. And then those last two words, Jesus wept. We think he's weeping for his friend, which I bet you there was some of that. But I also have a hunch that he wasn't just weeping because he lost his friend, but he's weeping for the fact that his friend had to die in the first place. He's weeping the fact out of anger. He's weeping the fact that there's death, that in the kingdom of this age, death still reigned in that time. And it's a little bit of anger. It's a little bit of frustration. It's a lot of hurt because he's allowing himself to feel this. He's witnessing the sting of death. He's feeling the loss that it brings, the finality that death brings. He's feeling it for them. Instead of avoiding it, he experiences it himself. And instead of giving a cliche answer, well, he's in a better place. Or you'll be fine, we'll get through this. He draws near to him and near to those places where the death, where the death is. Instead of normalizing the brokenness, instead of normalizing the fact that we have this in our lives, this mailbox of loss and mourning, instead of normalizing it, Jesus enters into it. And instead of ignoring it, he feels it. I think Jesus wept most because he knew how this world was intended to be. He knew the world when it didn't have to have sin and death in it. And he didn't, and instead of ignoring it, he stepped into the mourning. He's, he's mourning the loss of his friends. He's mourning the broken kingdom. And instead of ignoring the mourning, ignoring the mailbox of grief, he allows himself to feel it, but it also motivates him to make it better so he doesn't stay stuck there. When you see somebody around you, do you feel the pain when they are disrespected based on ethnicity? Do you feel the pain of the racism that's prevalent in our culture? Do you feel it or do we change the channel? Some of us have the ability to change the channel. Some of us have to live with that every day. Do we feel that pain? Do we feel the pain when we hear of newborn lives that can easily be snuffed out before they're born? 
do we feel that pain? Do we feel the pain when people who are, uh, their ability levels are different from our own and we look past them because of disabilities? Do we feel the pain of the aged in our culture who get ignored and looked down upon? Do we feel the pain when we normalize war and its victims? There are all these different ways of how we whistle past these mailboxes in our lives. But do we allow ourselves to feel them? Blessed are those who mourn. For in their mourning, they'll be comforted. John 11 continues. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid in front of its entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time, that's some bad odor coming out of there. For he's been in there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? In our mourning, are we able to see that God can bring the comfort in those places? It's a paradox, really. In the places of your deepest pain, you'll find the place where God comforts you and meets you right in the middle of it. It's the exact opposite of walking past our fears or walking past the pain in our culture. It's the exact opposite. What does Jesus do? He gets right next to the grave. In fact, he's so close to it that they're afraid it's going to smell. He can smell what it's like. He's getting near it, but he doesn't leave it there. He brings comfort. And the place of mourning is where we find the biggest place of comfort. It's where we find Christ. It's in those places that we never expect to find comfort. It's in those places where we never expect to find grace. It's the places where we never expect to find Christ, where he's always shining the brightest. Jesus weeps at Lazarus' tomb. He's called to the bedside of a dying son, of, of a man whose son is dying, and he goes straight there. He tells the mourners, the, the kid is only sleeping, just wait. People who are called unclean and everyone avoids them because they have leprosy or they've been bleeding for a number of years. All these people that people avoid, Jesus goes right to them, touches the man who has leprosy, not afraid that he might even contract it himself touches this man who has leprosy and says, you're healed. All the places that you and I tend to avoid, all the people that you and I tend to avoid, Christ takes a step towards them. And if we are supposed to be the representatives of Christ in our world today, should we not do the same? for they will be comforted. Maybe you are the source of comfort for that person with pain that is around you today. But first, you need to start with being dissatisfied with the world we see around you. We need to be able to admit that it's broken. This weekend is Martin Luther King weekend. Tomorrow's the day. Have we ever listened to some of his sermons? 
Martin Luther King, in his day, known as some sort of terrorist, a rebel rouser, he was ignored by much of the church. But when you listen to his words, the things that he said, the way that he said it, he sounds more like Jesus than many of us do. And so tonight, uh, the guys up there are going to play just a brief clip of one of his sermons. It's about three and a half minutes long. I want us to listen to it. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll do some other stuff. But go ahead and play it, guys. So I conclude by saying today that we have a task and let us go out with a divine dissatisfaction. Let us be dissatisfied until America will no longer have a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds. Let us be dissatisfied until the tragic walls that separate the outer city of wealth and comfort from the inner city of poverty and despair shall be crushed by the battering rams of the forces of justice. Let us be dissatisfied until they live on the outskirts of hope, brought into the metropolis of daily security. Let us be dissatisfied until slums are cast into the junk heaps of history and every family will live in a decent sanitary home. Let us be dissatisfied until the dark yesterdays of segregated schools will be transformed into bright tomorrows of quality, integrated education. Let us be dissatisfied until integration is not seen as a problem, but as an opportunity to participate in the beauty of diversity. Let us be dissatisfied until men and women, however black they may be, will be judged on the basis of the content of that character, not on the basis of the color of that skin. Let us be dissatisfied. Let us be dissatisfied until every state capital be housed by a governor who will do justly, who will love mercy, and who will walk humbly with his God. Let us be dissatisfied. Until from every city hall, justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Let us be dissatisfied until that day when the lion and the lamb shall lie down together. And every man will sit under his own vine and fig tree and none shall be afraid. Let us be dissatisfied. Men will recognize that out of one blood, God made all men to dwell upon the face of the earth. Let us be dissatisfied until that day when nobody will shout white power, when nobody will shout black power, but everybody will talk about God's power and human power. Let us be dissatisfied. In order to be dissatisfied, you have to acknowledge that there are some deep problems. Let us be dissatisfied. There are probably many people in this room who are dissatisfied. 
Maybe you've experienced some things firsthand, whether they be uh, slurs when you're walking down the road, whether they be uh, uh, profiling when it's unjust. Maybe you've experienced that and you find yourself dissatisfied and you mourn. The problem that we find with mourning is it puts us in isolation. We tend to isolate ourselves because we're afraid of that piece of mourning that comes in our mailbox. And so we isolate ourselves and we think we're alone in that. You're not alone. Maybe you mourn the state of the world because of the racism that we see in our culture. Maybe you mourn it and you find yourself dissatisfied in that place. Maybe you're mourning the injustice that comes from it. Your response to injustice is a form of grief. Either you don't have it or you do. Can you grieve the injustices that are around us? Some here are mourning something different. Some are mourning a loss from death, maybe. Maybe you've lost someone close. My family's coming up on the one-year anniversary of my dad passing. We're mourning that place. It hurts. Some of you are mourning the loss of a broken relationship. Maybe you're estranged from your families, from your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, somebody in your family, and you're estranged, and you're mourning that, and you've kept avoiding it. You don't want to go near it. Maybe you're mourning the loss of something in your life. Maybe you're mourning this loss of a dream. What your life thought, what you thought it was going to be. You thought by now you would be married. You thought by now you'd have kids. Maybe if you're on the other end of life, maybe you thought you'd be retired. Maybe you thought your kids would have moved out by now. Maybe you thought you'd have a different kind of career. Maybe your finances, your dreams for your kids, your adult kids, your grandkids. But your mourning has turned into disappointment and you mourn over that today. Maybe you mourn about the state of our world. The news just depresses you. Maybe you mourn the political climate we find ourselves in in this country and your mourning. This last election might have taken a toll on you and you find yourself broken and mourning in that place. And we've been avoiding these places. And you find yourself thinking you're mourning all by yourself because no one wants to feel the same pain that you feel. So we avoid it. The dissatisfaction is brewing up in you, and it's a good dissatisfaction, but you're having a hard time carrying it. If any of those are you tonight, I want to ask you to be brave with me. I want to ask you to stand. I'm not going to make you raise your hand and tell me what you're mourning. That's not what I want to do. I just want you to stand with me. If any of those places hit you, please stand tonight. Yeah. Feel free to look around. We're all mourning different things in your life. You don't mourn alone. We mourn loss. We mourn shame. We mourn the brokenness in our world. If you find yourself sitting here tonight, look around. Your brothers and sisters are mourning. There's something going on that's just not right with them. Don't ignore them. In Luke, he says the same passage, blessed are those who mourn. But a few chapters later, there's a little warning. Woe to you who laugh now, 
because you'll be in tears later. You will have your season of mourning too. Don't mean to make you feel bad, but that's just the way of life. And so tonight, if you're sitting, would you please stand next to somebody who's mourning? Good chance there's someone near you. If there's not, if, if those who are mourning can get close together, uh, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm not going to ask you to hold hands because there's this thing like the flu happening. Um, but I want to ask you to put your hand on their shoulder. It's an appropriate place. Put your hand on their shoulder. And the next few minutes, Andrew's going to lead us in a song. And while he's singing, I'm going to ask you to pray for that person next to you. You might not know them, and that's okay. Pray that what God is doing in their hearts, God would continue to do it. And here's your prayer, that in the midst of their mourning, they'll find Christ. And they'll know by the people in their community around them, you all, that they don't mourn alone. They don't carry this alone. Take some time praying. I'm going to read some scriptures over you while you're praying. Andrew's going to play something on his nice little guitar. Uh, but take some time and pray for those who are mourning around you. Okay? You're all on the prayer team now. Congratulations. Ready? Ready?